Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, Mr. and Mrs. North America. This is Philip Terzian, the literary editor of the Weekly Standard, with my weekly podcast on the books and arts section of the Weekly Standard. This week we're looking at the issue dated November 3rd of the books and arts section, and the lead piece is by the very distinguished Stanford um, historian of the... um, revolutionary early republic period jack rakovi and the book that he is reviewing is entitled the royalist revolution monarchy and the american founding by eric nelson this is a harvard university press publishing a book by a youngish uh, american history professor at harvard eric nelson the point being that and it's a kind of slightly counterfactual um, piece on um, uh, piece of work rather on on the revolution is that one of the governing ideas of the revolution at least in our collective memory is that we were uh, champing under the tyranny of uh, King George the third and that we the revolution was a revolution against monarchy and against having a king and every time a member of the British royal family visits the United States and large crowds come out to see them. There are always people who say, I thought we had a revolution. Uh, um, We fought a revolution so that we didn't um, hold these people in such high regard. And the the thesis Eric Nelson is advancing is that the revolution um, wasn't so much against King George III, but against Parliament, and that uh, really the colonists... Some colonists obviously wanted to be independent from England, but many of them basically just wanted to be recognized as as freeborn English citizens, and they wanted the rights of an English of a British subject, um, which meant um, representation along with their taxation. And some of them, notably James Wilson of Pennsylvania, who was one of the signers of the Declaration, thought that they might have an ally in. King George, in fact, that that a lot of the uh, measures that the colonists rebelled against were parliamentary measures, all of which is true. And they thought that perhaps they could, uh, they there might be, they might have an advocate in London, in His Majesty the King. It's an interesting thesis, and it's a kind of unexplored idea, um, as Jack Rakovi points out. Um, George was much more of a of a, um, uh, shall we say, hostage of Parliament than not. Um, less than a century before, uh, Parliament had tossed out the the ruling King James II, and of course, half a century before that, they had they had beheaded the sitting King Charles I. So George III was not about to defy Parliament on behalf of the North American colonists. But it's an interesting thesis. Interesting discussion, a kind of interesting uh, contrarian view of a well-worn uh, historical story, which Professor Rakovi uh, evaluates and retells in very, very uh, interesting and succinct fashion. I'm sure you will enjoy reading it. That is followed by a review by David Skinner, a former colleague of ours at the Weekly Standard, um, and author of a recent book, The Story of Ain't, America, Its Language, and the Most Controversial Dictionary Ever Published, which is about Webster's Third. David Skinner um, is now the editor of Humanities Magazine, and he has reviewed 
a new book from the um, uh, Harvard um, behavioral psychologist Steven Pinker. The book is called The Sense of Style, The Thinking Person's Guide to Writing in the 21st Century. Pinker is a kind of a a bit of a polymath. He writes about a lot of things, but in this he's talking about um, literary style and how uh, writers uh, communicate most effectively. It's a kind of a Steven Pinker version of of um, Strunk and White's elements of style. Pinker is, shall we say, more of a describer than a prescriber. He doesn't tell us what we ought to say but um, uh, so much, but um, is full of interesting observations about um, certain tendencies in modern, in modern rhetoric and writing and, of course, the differences between literary style and journalistic style and, and so on, and all kind of interesting discussion of, of the use of language and how we, we mobilize language and deploy it for different ends in writing. And David has a very interesting and um, uh, unique perspective on this, uh, on what is really a kind of unique um, view in its own way. Um, this will be of interest both to fans of Steven Pinker, of whom there are some, I'm sure, and as well as people who like to read about the use and abuse of language in everyday life. That is followed by a piece by Edwin Yoder, a review of a book um, uh, by Atul Gawande, an um, um, American-born uh, physician of Indian descent who writes frequently for The New Yorker on on medical and scientific subjects, and his book is entitled Being Mortal, Medicine and What Matters in the End, which is a kind of a, a Gawande is somewhere in the middle of middle age, I would say, and probably better known for writing about medicine than practicing medicine, but it's a kind of what I have learned account of, of the practice of medicine. Of interest, of course, uh, at all times, and particularly now with the introduction of the Affordable Care Act, where the practice of medicine and, and uh, habits and practices of, of MDs will come under uh, rather more official scrutiny than in, in the past. Of course, Dr. Gawande is a great um, advocate for the patient as well as um, um, for doctors, and so the book is full of suggestions on how physicians can uh, how the, uh, the practice of medicine has evolved um, uh, into a more, shall we say, patient-friendly, in a more patient-friendly direction, which he and I guess any patient would want to encourage. But it's an interesting piece, um, and Ed Yoder uh, goes to the trouble at the end to explain that he actually knows Dr. Gawande and has known him um, for many years. And with that caveat in mind, um, he recommends the book... Um, unreservedly to anyone who's interested either in the practice of medicine or in um, the ethics of medicine at the present moment. Seems like the sort of ideal book for someone if you're looking for a book to give someone who's considering a career in the health sciences, this might be the, this might be the one. Um, but uh, the title, as I said, is um, Being Mortal, Medicine, and What Matters in the End. That is followed by a piece um, by Daniel Lee of a new book from Knopf by James Rahm entitled Dying Every Day, 
Seneca at the court of Nero. Seneca is one of those interesting figures in, in classical history in that he personifies a problem that exists to the current day, and that is how, why, and under what circumstances and with what limitations does a person of conscience serve a tyrant? The tyrant in this case was Nero. Um, Seneca was one of his one of his subordinates. And of course, Seneca was perfectly aware of uh, Nero's manifold deficiencies as a ruler, indeed as a human, um, but nevertheless found himself caught between um, his sense of duty as a Roman citizen and his conscience as a human being. It's a very interesting discussion of a problem which, although we're discussing matters that took place almost exactly 2,000 years ago, um, if you change the names, they could easily apply to uh, problems that um, people have dealt with in the last century or two, indeed in this current decade. Dying Every Day, Seneca at the Court of Nero by James Rahm, which is followed by a delightful essay by Judy Bachrock um, entitled Their Children's Hour. The subtitle is The Unbearable Lightness of Ronan Farrow and Friends. Uh, Judy, who who wrote a wonderfully entertaining book about um, uh, Tina Brown and her husband, Harold Evans, uh, is a, a chronicler of the glam media in Vanity Fair and in other places, and she's especially distressed by the children of the famous, and notably in this case uh, Ronan Farrow, son of Mia and Woody Allen, we think, and Chelsea Clinton, daughter of uh, Bill and Hillary Clinton, both of whom have um, had very high-profile uh, jobs with M NBC. Chelsea, of course, was a $600,000 a year correspondent for NBC News, and Ronan Farrow has his own um, daily news talk show on MSNBC, and both of them are just as good in those capacities as you might imagine. Um, and Judy Bachrock has some very sharp and instructive things to say about the whole practice of hiring the children of the rich and famous for jobs that should um, otherwise be bestowed on uh, professionals. John Podhoritz's movie review this week is of Birdman, the new uh, film directed by Alejandro Inarito, and uh, it is a movie starring Michael Keaton, who we haven't seen too much of lately, uh, the theme being somewhat um, perhaps even autobiographical. It's about a, a, a actor of some fame who's been on the shelf recently who makes a big splash in a reappearance in a Broadway play. Um, the critical reception to Birdman has been um, um, euphoric, and um, John Padhoritz, uh, his view is um, perhaps um, um, uh, dissenting in, in, in that sense, but uh, as he says, um, we're all adults and we're entitled to our opinions, and you may differ, but... Um, it certainly causes one to uh, um, consider going to see Birdman to see what everyone else is is um, so enthusiastic about, and 
what John clearly has reservations about, but he writes about it in his, uh, as always, with um, uh, interest and erudition and amusement, and I know you will enjoy reading it. I have enjoyed very much previewing this week's issue for you, and I look forward very much to talking with you again in another week about the next Books and Arts section in the Weekly Standard. Thank you very much.